almost have all your eyes back. Oh, we got a straggler. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's begin with prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Gracious God, your word is a lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Illuminate our way this morning that we might follow Christ and find the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I want to begin this morning with a little show and tell. Sound good? Lily has show and tell often in preschool, and she always brings one of her favorite stuffed animals or something like this. This is what I want to show you. It's a little white square attached to my keychain, okay? But it's not just a white square. Check this out. Wait for it. Ah, oh, okay, okay. So this is called a tile key finder, and I'm not an advertiser for them, but it does relate to the sermon, but stick with me. So it doubles as a phone finder, but check this out. If I tap this app on my phone and I lost my keys, oh, wonderful, the joys of modern technology. Okay, so why do I own this little device? Well, because a few weeks back, when I was cleaning out the van, I lost the keys. Furthermore, the second set of keys had not been seen in weeks. <laughs> right? So we ended up with a really clean van, but no keys to drive it. Thankfully, we found both sets eventually. One was lost in a bag somewhere, and the other was five doors down in the neighbor's lawn. <laughs> so you better bet, right after we found them, we bought some insurance, these little tiles, all right? <laughs> so keys, keys are important, aren't they? Keys take you where you need to go. Without keys, you cannot get where you need to be. Keys unlock and keys take you where you need to be. Now, same is true for the Bible. You cannot get where you need to go in the Bible without keys. Keys unlock and keys take you where you need to be. Same is true in the Bible. If you want to access the Bible, you need a key that unlocks the true meaning of the text. And if you want the Bible to take you anywhere, and I sure hope you do, you need a key. Today's scripture passage assumes all of this. It assumes you need a key. And it makes this pivotal claim, Christ is the key. Christ is the key. Christ is the key that unlocks the true meaning of the text. And Christ is the key that takes you where you need to be. Let me put it this way. It is of no use to have a really clean van but no keys, as I learned. <laughs> the same is true of the Bible. Christ is the key that turns the engine and enables the vehicle of the Bible to take you where you need to go. No Christ, no key. But with Christ as the key, you are able to drive up the mountain to the high life, lived in the life-giving presence of God. This pivotal revelation that Christ is the key comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. If you were with us last week for Easter Sunday, then you'll realize that today's text follows right on the heels of last week's text. So at the start of Luke 24, Mary and the other women first discover the empty tomb of Jesus. 
Two angels interpret this fact by saying the statement that all of the Christian faith rests on. The two angels say, he is not here, but has been raised. The women tell these things to the eleven disciples, who in turn don't believe a word of it, but Peter is at least curious enough to go to the tomb himself to look inside and to see that Jesus' body is not there. So, our passage comes right after that. And then our passage says this about Christ being the key. We're in Luke 24, starting with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on the journey, but they were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped their faces downcast. Jesus said to them, playing dumb, what things? Oh, sorry, the one named Cleopas, one of the two travelers, replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and by all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told him that he is alive. Now, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus, the one these two people are talking to, Jesus says to them, you foolish people, <laughs> your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then, now here's the key, then Jesus interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. And when they came to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, when they came to Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes then were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem, seven miles back. 
They found the eleven and the companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during the time of Jesus, God's people had lost their keys. They needed one of these uh, tiles. (laughs) I believe the same is true today. I believe so many of us have lost our keys, the keys to understanding life, to understanding the Bible, to understanding God. But I'll get into that later. For now, let's focus on the time of Jesus and the people of God in his day, which were the people of Israel. Let's see how they lost their keys. So in Jesus' day, The ones in charge of the keys were called scribes. Can you say that after me? Scribes. Scribes. Scribes were supposed to be the experts in the law of God, which we know as the Old Testament. Growing out of the Old Testament was a tradition of interpretation, a tradition, and the scribes were also supposed to be experts in that tradition as well. So it may help you to think of the scribes as the biblical scholars of Jesus' day. And since there was no separation between church and state, they were also the lawyers of Jesus' day, interpreting laws for the nation and court cases and so forth. So every village, every Jewish village had a scribe, and the scribes were highly respected civic leaders. But, some of you know, the scribes were not respected by the uncredentialed rabbi named Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about the scribes. Listen to what he says about the respectable ones who held the keys for unlocking the scriptures in their day. Jesus calls them out. Jesus rebukes them and says, Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, experts in the law. How terrible it will be for you, legal experts. Why? Listen to this. Because you have taken away the key to knowledge. Taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't enter yourselves, and you stood in the way of those entering. But there's more. Matthew's gospel, that was Luke, Matthew's gospel records Jesus saying this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You travel over sea and land to make one convert, but when they've been converted you become twice the child of hell they are. (laughs) It's Matthew 23. That's Jesus' perspective on the scribes. In Jesus' day, the scribes were these respectable citizens. They were responsible for the keys that unlocked the meaning of the scriptures. But according to Jesus, the scribes had lost the keys. The result, think about this, the result was a disease of misinformation about the scriptures. People were misinformed about the scriptures. The result was a wide-scale failure to understand God's plan for Israel and for the world. So you put these two together, the misinformation and the misunderstanding, and what you get is a Messiah on the cross. (laughs) You get the scribes and Pharisees condemning Jesus to die. How could this happen? Well, 
as we know, there's a divine perspective, and this was necessary. But from a human standpoint, it happened because the people had lost their keys. So they were unable to understand the role of the Messiah when he arrived. There were certain expectations about the Messiah. The Messiah was the hero, the deliverer. You know, we have our own hero stories in our culture. <laughs> you just have a child and you read their books and there's all sorts of heroes they're introduced to from a very early age. The hero for Israel was the Messiah. But they were unable to recognize the Messiah when he arrived. How? Because of the scribes and the Pharisees. They snatched away the key to knowledge. They were unable to understand the role of the Messiah, a role the prophet Isaiah clearly described as the role of a suffering servant. But they were expecting a militant king. So with this knowledge, let's return to our story for today. The story starts with two disciples, one of whom is named Cleopas. Close, uh, close second to the names we were going to name uh, our, our son, but Josiah won out in the end. <laughs> Cleopas. <laughs> These two disciples, one's named Cleopas, but both of them are keyless. They don't have any keys to understanding. So these two disciples, as they leave Jerusalem after the death of Jesus, they are leaving and they are walking home and they are disillusioned, disheartened, and depressed. Do you know what it's like to be disillusioned, disheartened, or depressed? Here's why they are disillusioned. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel, as our text says. But thanks to their village scribes' interpretation of the scriptures, they thought this meant Jesus would become king in a worldly sense. Obviously, he didn't. So it was time to go home. Now here's why the two disciples from Emmaus are disheartened. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but thanks to their village scribe, they thought this meant he would somehow rise up politically and overthrow the oppressive regime of Rome. But Jesus failed on this account too. So they parted ways with the other disciples in Jerusalem, the first church split, and they went home, believing it couldn't be true. And here's why they are depressed. They had hoped Jesus was the Messiah, but thanks to their village scribe, they thought success meant what we would call success. They thought it meant winning. But when Jesus lost, even lost his very own life, they knew the party was over. Time to go home, they thought, the moment Jesus was executed as a common criminal. Why did they think this? Why did they give up hope? Why were they disillusioned, disheartened, and depressed? Because they were keyless. Why were they keyless? Because the scribes lost the keys for understanding the scriptures, for understanding God, and for understanding life. For in Jesus' words, the scribes snatched away the key to knowledge. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is about to change everything for them and for us. He's about to change everything because, surprise, he has the keys. 
So they're walking home to Emmaus, the two disciples. Their noses are to the ground. Their hearts are full of sadness. And a stranger shows up. Mind if I tag along? (laughs) Of course, they must have responded, consistent with the Jewish custom of hospitality. So off they go, the two disciples and a stranger, who is Jesus. But little do they know, the stranger that shows up has the keys. (laughs) Little do they know, the one they are now walking with is Jesus himself, alive and back from the dead. Little do they know their new traveling companion is the same person they've been talking about on their once hopeless journey home. As the book of Revelation says, it is Jesus who holds the key of David. And what he opens, the scriptures say, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He's about to use his keys to open the kingdom of God for them and for us and for all of humanity, even for those you least expect to be blessed by God. But Jesus starts in slowly. He doesn't just kind of pop out and say, here I am, the Messiah, alive from the dead. Well, Jesus starts by listening. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that listening is the first service one owes to others. We do well to memorize that. Listening is the first service one owes to others. So Jesus starts by listening to these disciples talk about, well, Jesus. You ever uh, in a conversation and you're like the expert on something, like maybe it's Community Cancer Network, Faye, and someone's talking to you about Community Cancer Network, and they have no idea that you actually know a lot about Community Cancer Network. It's, it's kind of awkward, right, when they're sort of bragging about their information and you, kind of, you are the expert? <laughs> it's kind of the scenario that's going on here. Got the disciples in Emmaus talking about Jesus to Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus just kind of sits back, <laughs> plays dumb, and listens to them rehearse their perspective on current events. But after a while, Jesus can't take it anymore. He, after hearing their perspective on his death, he becomes irritated by their lack of sense. I don't think irritated is too strong of a word. Listen to what he says to them right before the big reveal. He says, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all the prophets talked about. I suspect our dull minds do the same for us too. From time to time, I suspect our dull minds and our our lack of spirit-filled imagination keep us from believing all the prophets have said. So the stranger who is Jesus continues on, and verse 27 is where it happens. Verse 27 is where Jesus gives them the keys to the kingdom. Verse 27 Then Jesus interpreted for them all the things written about himself in the scriptures, starting with Moses, book of Genesis, and going through all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the rest. Imagine this, sitting with Jesus, when Jesus interprets for you all the things written there in the Bible about himself starting at the beginning, going all the way through the Old Testament. So Jesus walks these two disciples through the vast terrain of the Old Testament, 
And he reveals to them how Christ is the key to it all, how the Messiah is the key to it all. He, the Christ, the Messiah, he's the one all of the scriptures are pointing towards. He, the Christ, is the fulfillment of the scriptures. And that's what Jesus shows to the two dumb-witted disciples on the road to Emmaus. He shows them how he is the key to knowledge, a knowledge to which the scribes had prevented access, but it's an access that Jesus has now restored. In short, Jesus shows to them and us how he, Jesus Christ, is the key. Four final points. Number one, Jesus Christ, as I've said, and I'll say it again, Jesus Christ is the key to understanding all of the scriptures. If you read any part of the Bible, any chapter, any page, any verse, and Jesus is not on the forefront of your mind, you are surely going to misread it. This is why some traditions of faith always pair a gospel reading with an Old Testament reading. While all of Scripture is inspired by God, including the Old Testament, according to those same Scriptures, all of it points to Jesus Christ. All of it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the key to unlocking the true meaning of Scripture. That's number one. Number two, since Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible, this means Jesus is also the key to understanding God. (laughs) Jesus is also the key to understanding the true nature of God. You want to know what God is like? Look no further than Jesus of Nazareth. As the author of Hebrews writes, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He, Jesus, the Son of God, this is Hebrews, he, Jesus, sustains all things with his powerful word. So, Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible, and Jesus is the key to understanding and knowing God personally. Not only is Jesus the key to understanding the Bible and God, but as the true Adam, Jesus is also the key, number three, Jesus is also the key to understanding humanity, to understanding who we are as human beings. You want to know who you are? Don't look in a mirror. You want to know how to live your best life now? Don't go to the so-called Christian book section. You want to know the secret of a good life? Look no further than Jesus of Nazareth and imitate him. Imitate his life of service to others. Stop taking so much selfies for Christ's sake because Christ is the key to your life. Imitate his humility, which was once considered a vice by everyone, but which Christ transformed into a virtue. Imitate Christ's humility, for Christ is the key to your life. Imitate his love, not just for people like you, but especially for people not like you, 
Imitate his love, not just for people you like, but especially for people you don't. For it was Jesus who loved even his enemies who conspired to kill him. And he taught us to do the same. It was Jesus who, when he was on the cross, prayed to the Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was Jesus who taught us, saying, don't be like the Gentiles, don't be like the unbelievers, for they love those who are like them. They love those who they can get something out of. Everyone can do that. But love your enemies. Then you will receive your reward in heaven. Yes, imitate Jesus' love, for Christ is the key to your life. Finally, the fourth thing to imitate from Jesus is his relationship with the Father. Imitate Jesus' relationship with the Father. For this is what Jesus prioritized above all, a God-attentive life. For the fully human Jesus, who is also God the Son, get this, for Jesus, a God-attentive life included the spiritual disciplines of solitude, prayer, fasting, service. If these things were required of Jesus to live a God-attentive life, how much more are they required of us, (laughs) weak humans as we are? So let's imitate Christ in this way. Let's imitate his relationship with the Father. Let's imitate the way he nurtured that relationship with spiritual practices like solitude, prayer, fasting, service, and others. Let's imitate Christ in this way, for Christ is the key to our lives. This is why Jesus Christ came, my friends, to unlock the door of the kingdom of God so that all might enter in even now. Christ is the key. Will you enter through the door And will you help others do the same? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.